Man, that was wonderful. Outstanding. Thank you. Um, man, I tell you, Brian, that was beautiful. Now, if you don't know Brian Barry, which I know most of us don't, he is uh, going to be going to Ireland. You'll meet him tomorrow night. He's going to give a, an update and a presentation. Uh, and at this time, I want to invite uh, Isaiah and uh, Isaiah Benedict. He's here with his wife, Dawn. And uh, this is the earlier where Andy was talking about the partnership with getting uh, French Creole um, or Haitian Creole, I'm sorry, to Haiti. And uh, this brother, I met him recently. I just wanted him come give an update, brother. In conference and uh, just hearing some good teaching, some good word. Um, as Brother Brian mentioned, I'm Isaiah Benedict. I'm here with my wife, Dawn. There we go. Now I'm lit up. And I have uh, three beautiful children who are at their grandparents tonight. But Ayla's 15, Haley is 13, and Josiah is 12. And uh, we are serving currently in, in uh, a village called Ma Wuj in the country of Haiti. Um, and we have answered that call just recently. Um, somebody told me one time that if you want to make God laugh, tell him you've got plans. And that's kind of what I did. I've been I'm serving in full-time ministry since 2003. I was a youth minister for several years. Went into church planning in the past six years of ministry. I served as associate pastor of our church heading up our student ministries and our missions. And I was pretty comfortable in that role. I enjoyed going on mission trips. I enjoyed going to camp with youth. That's what I knew. That's what I did. And uh, never dreamed in a million years that when I told God, Lord, here I am, use me, that he would take me to the country of Haiti. In fact, I was going to go kicking and screaming. And so I'll start by telling you guys that before we get into what we are currently doing. But um, as many of you know, um, Terry and Carolyn Routon are missionaries to Haiti, and they are kind of the, the door that God used to get me there. But in uh, 2018, I was serving as missions pastor of my home church, Church of Living Water in Warsaw, Missouri, and I was managing a lumberyard in Clinton, Missouri. And one day, this little couple comes into my lumberyard, and they said, we've got a home in Warsaw, and we're doing some remodeling, and we're missionaries to Haiti. And I thought, well, that's really cool. I love talking to missionaries. I have always had a heart for missions, and I love seeing missionaries come to church and present things. And, and so we got to talking. We became very good friends. Um, they had been relocated from Sedalia to Warsaw. What I didn't know was behind the scenes, God was leading them to come to our church. And so one day I get a phone call from my senior pastor, and he said, hey, um, there's a couple here I need you to meet. When can you come down to Warsaw and, and meet with us? Because we were living in Clinton. He goes, this couple, they're missionaries to Haiti, and they've just moved to Warsaw, and they're going to become members of our church. And I said, I bet you their name is Terry and Carolyn Routon. And I was right. And so, you know, God's got a plan, and God works things out. And that's exactly what he had been doing in my life was getting me where I needed to be. And so... Um, I met the Routens, and we began talking about mission trips, which is my thing. Let's lead a team to Haiti. Let's, let's do some work. Let's put a roof project on a church. And so, um, but Pastor Daniel, he said, well, they're going to be doing a conference in 2018, and I need you to go with me to Haiti. You want to go to Haiti? Not really. I had heard nothing but bad things about Haiti. I had heard about the voodoo and the evil spirits and getting hexes and all this crazy stuff that I really didn't want to be a part of. And to be honest with you guys, I had come from a family that was very prejudiced. And so it was kind of one of those things like, how is this going to work with my family? But in 2018, I did go to Haiti for the first time. It was a two-week trip, and God rocked my world. And to say the least, for the first time in my life, I was speechless. Um, I had a hard time teaching. I had a hard time preaching. I didn't feel like it was a very good fit at all. 
But the reason it wasn't was because God was working inside my heart. And my senior pastor, he goes, I don't know what God's telling you right now, but God is working in your heart. And he goes, I'm just going to tell you, be obedient to the call of God. Whatever God's telling you to do, to be obedient. And the crazy part of it was me and my wife were in the process of purchasing a home in Warsaw, Missouri. We, had, we were waiting for the, the final paperwork. And my pastor said, if you think God's calling you to Haiti, do not buy that home. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a little hard-headed. So guess what I did? I bought a home. I said, God, I'm not going to Haiti. I, I wasn't like um, what Brother Andrew said yesterday. You know, I, I was doing that partial obedience, and I was, I was being disobedient. And so anyways, I bought a home, and I am so thankful that God's grace and mercy is with us because in 2019, I returned to Haiti with a team for construction. Um, in March, in August, I went back for a conference and guess what? God just started building a passion and a heart for me for the country of Haiti and for the people of Haiti. And I still wasn't really ready to say, God, yeah, this is what you're calling me to do. Yes, I want to support Haiti. Yes, I want to go on two-week trips. I'm comfortable with that. I kind of like running water and air conditioning. But God kept working on my heart. And I said, well, I'm going to put a fleece before God. I... Uh, I'm going to take my kids over there. My wife had already been. She went with me in 19. So in, in 2020, we're going to take our kids on a two-week trip. We're going to test the waters and see how our kids are going to adapt to Haiti. So we scheduled our trip for March of 2020. And guess what? <laughs> Poor timing. But yeah, we, we, we scheduled for March of 2020. We were flying out of Fort Pierce, Florida with a missions flight organization. We drove two days from Missouri to Florida. We pulled in the airport the day ahead of time to drop off our, our luggage and they said, guess what? You're not going to Haiti tomorrow. If you didn't realize this before you left Missouri, there's a pandemic in this country, and you may not be going to Haiti for a long time. And we went back to our motel room, and I began really just getting on my knees before the Lord saying, God, I thought I heard from you. I, I thought you wanted me to be there. And uh, I got a phone call that, that same day and said, we can't fly you out on Tuesday we hate to even offer this to you, but we could fly you in the country on Thursday. But here's the problem. You may not get to leave. And I said, sign me up. We're going to Haiti. And so we went into Haiti. And uh, our two-week trip was extended to five and a half weeks. We were stuck in country. But in that five and a half weeks, God really began to show his plan for our lives. Our kids adapted so well to the culture. And it was just like a uh, a hand in a glove, the way that our family adapted to the culture and to living in Haiti. And so we were there for five weeks. We came home, put our house on the market. We sold our home November of 2020. In February of last year, we went on our first three-month stint. Um, because of passport restrictions, we're only allowed to be there for three months at a time. So we have spent nine months um, in Haiti since February of 2021. We recently came home 12 days ago. So we are, we're freshly back from the field there. Haiti has had so much go on in the past 14 months. It's a level four travel advisory. We get emails from the embassy every week. Do not go to Haiti. Um, it's insecure. There's kidnappings. Most of you guys heard about kidnappings on the news, right? Um, earthquakes. We had one day that we had 30 earthquakes in country. Um, we got to experience that firsthand for the first time. Um, but we, we know that God's got a plan, and we're really excited about that. Terry and Carolyn started ministry in 2014. Um, and their ministry was discipling and working with pastors and building um, groups of pastors to work together to further the gospel. And we call them unity groups. So Terry and Carolyn's ministry 
Um, they started these groups. There's 44 groups with over 300 pastors. What I didn't know was that in 2017 or 18, they began praying for a young family to come and to, to take the baton and carry on the ministry. And guess what? That's where we fit into the, into the glove of this. And so Terry came with no formal training. He didn't have no pastor background. And he was, he was like, I am so glad you're here. And so I've been working with pastors. Um, I work with them weekly Why them there? Why I am there. The pastors are doing an amazing job in ministry. We, we are not really pastoring a church there, but we're working beside pastors to go out two by two and to spread the gospel. And we have seen some amazing things happen. Our pastors decided that they wanted to go into a prison in Haiti and they wanted to share the gospel. Um, the first time they went into a prison, they had 175 salvations. Every time they go into the prison, we have at least 40 salvations. The, the inmates are so hungry for the word of God. And so um, we talked a little bit about Bibles earlier. I know Pastor Randy's working on getting us some Bibles. Those Bibles are going to be in the hands of inmates. That's what we're, we're taking Bibles for. We're taking the inmates. We go every other month. We take food in there for them. We take some supplies in there. Um, the Haitian government does not really feed the people, so it's kind of based on family members bringing them food. And so we do a lot of, of social work as well as um, spreading the gospel. But we believe everything we do is a funnel for the gospel. Um, our interpreter, his name is Pastor Wuziesino. Um, he accepted the call in the ministry, working underneath Terry and Carolyn's ministry. He started a church in 2019. In 2020, when we were there, he told me, I have a burden on my heart to start a school a Christian school for the kids in our community. We have so many kids that cannot go to school. He said every school in, in, in Haiti is required to pay a fee of tuition to go to school. So he goes, we've got kids that will, will never go to school because their parents can't afford it. And we want to have a school where we can teach the word of God. We can teach kids how to respect elders and leaders and to obey their parents. And so we got on board with that. That was something that my family wanted to be a part of. And we, uh, we've been supporting the school um, a lot of our kids were going and walking two hours one way to school. They weren't eating, but every other day for some of them. They were, they were walking the distance, going to school all day and going home and maybe getting a meal. And so our family said, how can we stand in the gap? How can we make a difference? And it started out, hey, this is what we can afford to do right now. We're going to come to the school one day a week, and we're going to provide some kind of snack and a drink. And by the grace of God, last summer, we were able to raise support to be able to, to provide a snack every day for the kids at school. And so we're really excited about that. We're excited about what God's doing in that school. This year, this, the, the same school has started a, a trade school. We've been a part of that. But all these things we do are just things without the gospel, right? So we do these things for the gospel's sake. And we are so thankful that God has put this burden on our heart to reach these people and to walk beside these people. I often get asked questions like, is, is the gospel resisted in Haiti? The reality of it is, is Christianity is very popular in Haiti. But it's not true Christianity because they're willing to accept whatever that goes with it. So a lot of these guys that I've dealt with that are pastors will go to the voodoo witch doctor and ask him to put a, some kind of spell on their church to make their church grow. You know, the witch doctor will tell him, kill a rooster and put it in your pulpit and your church will grow. And so a lot of them, you know, they're worshiping God on Sunday, but Wednesday night they're at the voodoo temple worshiping too. And so our, our job is, is to, to show them the true, the true word of God and the true gospel and to try to break the chains of bondage. Um, you, you, you will drive down the streets of Haiti, and you'll see buses and dump trucks that have scriptures all over them. You'll see all kinds of stuff that says Jay-Z, Jesus. But the reality of it is, is so many of them are still lost and dying, going to hell, because they don't know the true Jesus. They've got a watered-down version. And so we work with them, and we disciple them, 
and we work with these pastors. And I tell you what, it's so hard to get traditions and legalism broken in, in these pastors' lives because they can see the truth of, of God's word and they walk back into their church on Sunday and the church is like, this is how we've always done it. Sounds familiar, don't it? We deal with the same thing in American church sometimes. Or their wife resists them. And so we, we, we teach and disciple these different things we see and we hear about and we just break the word of God open and say, look, this is what God's word says. Many of our pastors are uneducated. Um, they've not been through any kind of training. A lot of them are illiterate. And so they have learned by word of mouth and they've allowed anybody they want to come into the pulpit and teach. In fact, we have a church right across the road from our street that we've attended many times. And that church, literally, on a Sunday morning, that pastor can be standing on stage getting ready to preach a sermon. And anybody can walk through that door and say, God sent me to give you a word. And they'll back off and let that man preach. Um, they'll let somebody come in and say, hey, we want to we wanna host a music concert. And it could be a voodoo deal. And they may not even know it and say, yep, God sent you. You must be from God. And so we constantly battle those kind of things. Um, the country of Haiti is, is really poor. And unfortunately, because they're the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, these people will accept anything if they think there's a way to get something out of it. And one of the biggest struggles we have as missionaries is they, they see us as, as Santa Claus. They see us as somebody that's just going to come and give them something. And so it's really hard to tell who's your true friend. It's really hard to tell who's a true Christian because even the pastors are looking for somebody to come and save them. They're looking for somebody to give them a new church building or, or hymns or pews. And so we constantly have to, to battle that and just keep our focus on the Great Commission and serving God. And so... I stand here tonight as a person telling you it's not easy to answer the call, but it's definitely worth it. The ride is worth it. God will rock your world if you'll stand before him and say, here I am, Lord, send me. I am willing and I'm available. And I can tell you I've sacrificed a pretty good job, a really comfortable ministry, and a lot of different things, but I wouldn't trade it for a minute. And I'm thankful to be on the ride I'm on following God. And I know this, that the gospel is worth it. Amen. Man, that was that was a blessing. I appreciate you giving this. That that really matched the song that Brother Brian was just singing for us as far as yielding and, and really fits nicely into where we're going uh, with this conference. And again, we just have a series of living epistles of people who are owning the mission, who are intentional about their gospel outreach. And uh, what a blessing it is. It is, for me personally, it's very encouraging. It's edifying. And I'm excited. I'm excited about what we're going to hear next. And uh, thank you for, for hanging in through, through all the, the different looks and all the different ministries, all the different prayer needs. We could stop right now and just go to prayer and, uh, and man, watch God go to work. But we have one more thing to accomplish, and that's to have uh, Dan Renault, our brother from Living Faith Lee Summit, come. He's going to come and preach. Dan started a church uh, five years ago in Lee Summit. He's a church planner. He answered the call. I have known Dan since he was junior high age, maybe younger. I don't know, but... Uh, his dad <coughs> was uh, was instrumental. Uh, he was a friend of the man who led me to Christ, and uh, and so I remember when Dan was just a kid at church, you know. And I wasn't much more than a kid at church. I was an older kid at church, and uh, God has done a, a mighty work in Dan's life, and it's been awesome to watch uh, he and his family grow in the Lord, and to, and to take on the responsibilities. And we heard a little bit about their partnership with Andrew yesterday, and how God has used these guys together and. 
it takes a team sometimes. And that's what this is about, too, networking with different missionaries and uh, like Isaiah and Don and, and by God's grace, uh, Bob and just seeing or uh, Bob, sorry, Brian, not Bob Barry. Bob, Bob Barry's going to be down, too. We're going to network with him, too. But uh, but with the, the different people that God brings us together. So uh, like Mike Blake said this morning, it's just a patchwork of connections. And I'm so excited to, to have uh, Dan come and invest the word of God in us. I want us to make sure that we give him a good HBF welcome and tune our ears to what God would have us to hear from our brother Dan. Dan, come on up and preach to us, brother. Okay, what's up? How are you guys? Good, man. It's already been uh, so good hearing uh, everything that's been going on and Man, whether it's uh, Mexico or, or whether it's Ireland or um, Vietnam, uh, whether it is, uh, man, I wrote them down, Haiti, Romania, yes, thank you, uh, man, that's, it's awesome, it's awesome to hear and then hearing Pastor Randy speak about, man, all of the different Bibles that are being produced right here under your roof. Uh, what a blessing to be a part of a work like that. And so I just want to say, praise the Lord for the reach that God has given you throughout the entire world right here in Harrisonville. And I know some people are visiting, but even from your, uh, your local town that you grew up in, that God wants to use you in that manner. And that, that makes me think of, of something in regards to that because, uh, you know, I'm from Kansas City. I, I, I grew up in Independence, Missouri, and, you know, there, I'm, there's nothing special about me. Uh, and in one way, I haven't gone to Ireland, and I, I haven't, you know, uh, planted a work in Haiti or Romania or these things, and, and yet sometimes I do believe that during conferences like these, that it is easier for us to romanticize and even envision what it would be like to do the ministry somewhere else, and yet we fail to realize that the ministry is lacking even right here in our own backyard. And so I pray that, that as we have heard about the many opportunities to support, pray, uh, even financially give, that we would realize that all of that effort is uh, really lost if it actually doesn't touch our hearts right here in our own city. This has to be something that is, is I believe, communicated. And so, in some ways, man, I, I, I can't understand what it would be like to fly down to or drive down to Florida and then realize that you're stuck in in Haiti for five and a half weeks, yet realizing that that's actually what God has always called you to do. I don't know what it's like to, to be a worship leader and, and being at the end of, of myself, and yet God in that moment speaking to me and, and, and calling me in that manner to another place uh, in another part of the world. I don't know what that's like. And so in a lot of ways, I, I, I can't speak from a global perspective besides my own little two-week trips that I take. You know, and, and I believe that God does use those as is evidenced by the testimony we just heard. 
But I do want to say that I know that God wants to use the voices that you've heard, the living epistles that we have been hearing all week, to radically challenge us whether we are to physically with our bodies go to another land or not, that we need to be active in the proclamation of the gospel on our street. At the restaurants that you go to, at the grocery store that you always uh, find your produce, at, at the park that your kids always play, where is the gospel in our mouths at those locations? It's something that really should shake us if we've only considered the ministry somewhere else. So I, I just want to, I want to encourage you that for, for all of the romanticism that is present in, in the examples that has been present here, and my dear friend Andrew, uh, man, we go way back, and I'm so thankful that he's even here tonight. Uh, Andrew would not be going to the location he's going if he was not doing it here. We, we, we prove all things. We hold fast to that which is good. And, and yet we uh, as pastors and as churches are willing and desirous to send people into the uttermost. But what about your Judea? What about Jerusalem? Before we're ever going to get to a place where we are touching uh, the lives of those throughout the world, we have to make sure that, that at our workplaces, in our own families, that we are vocal with the gospel in those manners. And so I encourage you guys to please consider that as you attend this conference. And so, you know, as Brian was saying, my name is Dan Renault, and uh, I am the pastor of Living Faith in Lee Summit. Guys, it's an honor to be here. Uh, I consider Pastor Brian a, a very dear friend. And uh, you guys are, I mean, you guys hit like the jackpot. Okay, I, I don't know how to, else to say it, but, but like, you know, I don't know what they had to get to get you, but, but man, it, praise the Lord. So, uh, but Brian is the real deal. And so, uh, man, I, I'm thankful for Brian and there's times I'll, I'll tell Brian, like, you know, I just don't feel too secure about this or teaching this. And he's like, oh, no, yeah, you got it. It's like, duh, 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 duh. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like that simple doctrinal truth that I don't understand. You know? I, was, I was talking with him when we first were planning Living Faith and Lee Summit, and, and I said, uh, Man, you know what? I believe that God is calling me to, to, to teach out of Acts. But man, you know, Acts 2, and then you keep going, and it gets more complicated, and then, you know, you know and he says, oh, you got it. You know, and, and I'm like, I don't have it. And he kind of looks at me like, what? But, but you guys are blessed, man. That's all I got to say. Uh, the wisdom that God has given your pastor and uh, the understanding of the scriptures uh, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. And so um, I think you guys know that, right? Amen? Okay, well, good. Because I do. I know it. And I don't know a lot, but I know that, okay? So you guys are blessed. Um, man, another thing that was new to me when I came down here is that uh, you guys actually do sprinkle baptism rather than, rather than uh, 
full immersion because right when I got here, I don't know where, where Mark Lockwood is, but, but uh, he gave me a big hug and he just dumped all his water on my back. So I thought, I thought well, that's a way to greet someone, you know? So, uh, so we can talk about that later, I guess. I don't know. Um, things are changing down here in uh, Harrisonville. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so we'll pray about the sprinkling. Uh, at least it wasn't coffee or, you know, anointing oil. Uh, that would have been uncomfortable. Uh, but let's pray as we get into the word tonight. I want to share the story as to how God uh, moved in our lives in planting the church in Lee Summit. Uh, but I pray that it'll be profitable for you and encouraging as well. So, Father, we love you and I thank you for uh, this opportunity. Um, God, you know and I know and I believe probably many people here know that I have no ability to communicate as you intend. And yet, Lord, you desire to use uh, the foolishness of preaching. You desire to use those who, uh, has already been spoken, uh, are not uh, equipped as we should, are not uh, talented. And yet, God, you desire to, to use individuals just like that to make your name famous throughout the world. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that uh, this would have no focus on anything that we are doing, but it would greatly be focusing on who you are. And so, God, please have your way tonight. I pray that the very words that are spoken are an exalting of your name and of your mission, of your kingdom. I pray that what hits our ears will, will translate to our feet moving in a forward direction for the gospel. God, please do a work. Let this not just be another evening for uh, a conference where we are challenged and and our ears are, are tickled by the things that we fancy. No matter how upright those may be, Lord, I pray that real, true change would happen. And so, God, we love you. We thank you for your son. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Have you guys ever prayed and all of a sudden you realize you're like facing this way? You know? I, I, was, like, I was like really up on this, you know, pulpit. So uh, I'm like praying and, you know. Anyway. Okay, it was seven years ago, I was uh, serving the Lord at Midtown Baptist Temple in Kansas City, Missouri, under the leadership of Pastor Sam Miles, and, and uh, I think many of you guys probably know who Pastor Sam Miles is, and, and Pastor Sam and Brian, to me, are, are uh, of the same ilk. You guys remind me of each other so much, just your humble spirit, and, and yet your desire to truly be, to, to be true to the Word of God, and I appreciate that, but I was serving under... Uh, Pastor Sam's leadership at the time, I was leading the college and young adult ministry. Uh, man, Pastor Andrew was was a right hand. Uh, we had a blast doing that for years. I'll, I'll remember that forever. Thankful for him. And God was doing a great work in the college and young adult ministry at Midtown Baptist Temple. Bible studies were 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 starting throughout the city. We had Bible studies on uh, the UMKC campus. Young adults were getting saved. International students were getting saved. Uh, we were trying to figure out how to do four-week discipleship lessons. You know, individuals who were being saved were, were moving back home, and we were trying to find ways to, to minister to them. And I'm sure, actually, you probably spoke about that a little bit. Maybe not that story, but, 
but how can we reach those who God has placed in our own backyard and yet God was calling you to actually go? Disciples are being made during this time. This is around 2015. Guys, we didn't have a unique strategy. We didn't have some, some uh, killer idea as to how to make disciples in the Midtown area of Kansas City. We just believed that an open Bible, an open Bible with those who would come, I'm sorry, with, uh, was enough, that an open Bible was enough to reach the lost. That if we simply would be a people that if we opened the word of God in our own lives and we were willing to open the word of God into the lives of others, that God would do his work. And so that's what we did. We wanted to open the Bible with those who would come and it was during this time that man, God began opening a door in Lee Summit. He began opening this door. We currently had a, a couple college Bible studies uh, in a neighborhood called Lakewood, which is kind of a north Lee Summit area. I'm sure many of you guys are probably familiar. But we had a couple of our college Bible studies in Lee Summit. There were students that were attending Midtown Baptist Temple. I was reaching students at Longview Community College. Uh, pastor Brandon Briscoe, who is now the college and young adult pastor at Midtown Baptist Temple, uh, he was the high school pastor at Midtown at the time. He was also teaching at Lee Summit West High School, and so I was ministering to individuals on the college campus. He was ministering to individuals on the high school in the area. We had high school Bible studies, college Bible studies, like I said. And yet God was starting to move in Lee Summit. During this time, one of our families um, who was hosting the college Bible studies, well, they had a, a young girl who was in the first grade, and she wanted to invite her friends to a kid's Bible study. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that what mom and dad pursue that what mom and dad pursue, that that becomes the model for what this young girl wanted in her own life as a first grader? Isn't it interesting that, 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 that two individuals that are, that are just saved by grace, wanting to be obedient to the call, um, serving in their local church, that, that these two individuals who are happening to host a college Bible study, that their first grade daughter is watching, isn't that interesting? And, and so the one thing that she wants to do is start a kid's Bible club. That's interesting to me. That her pursuits would match that of her parents. Isn't that something? And so I just want to say, parents, listen, please. Don't trade 18 years of discipleship for 16 lessons. Don't trade what you have with your own children so that you can take another individual through a systematic process of discipleship where you're taking them through for these 16 lessons, which may be six months, nine months, a year, a year and a half. Don't trade the 18 years that you have with your kids when it's right under your nose. And I'm not saying you can't do both. But I'm saying, guys, you have an opportunity. You have such an opportunity to disciple the next generation so that generational transformation can take place in their lives and in the lives of those in this church. Let them know why you do the things you do. 
bring them along so that when they are old, they will not depart. You got to include them. You have to disciple those little whippersnappers. You got to let them know what you're up to. So often I find that, that I, can, I can become busy enough to where I'm not actually including or even telling my kids why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, that's stupid. That's, that's like the dumbest thing you could do, Dad. Tell your son why, you're, why you leave on Monday nights to take a young man or a, another individual through a discipleship process so that they can also do the same. Invite them to be a part of that in some manner. So here's the deal. This, uh, this young girl, she made flyers and they began passing them out to her friends. Well, the principal didn't like it, and, uh, which is not surprising, right? Uh, but it was too late. It was too late. The word already got out. All the flyers got sent. And from that simple invitation of a first grade girl, over time, this little kid's Bible club grew to having sometimes 17 moms and, and little girls meeting at this house, playing together and, and even having times where they were studying the Bible together. Isn't that cool? That's a cool thing. So we had, we had college students high school students, and now even young children hearing the word of God on a regular basis in this home. <laughs> it was awesome. And we had, and we had uh, high school ministry that was happening throughout Lee Summit where individuals just were burdened to start Bible studies with, with young people. And yet as time went on, we started to think, man, what, what would it be like if we got the whole family what would it be like if the whole family was a part of this, if we started a family Bible study? So from that thought, we, we made a flyer once again, and we invited their entire neighborhood to a block party. We made this flyer, and we went door-to-door for about three weeks. It wasn't about, it was. For three weeks, we went door-to-door and just invited people to a block party. And when the day finally arrived, we had over 200 people show up to this neighborhood block party. It was awesome. It was great. As a parting gift, we gave everyone a, a small little brown sack. And for the kids, we had, you know, some toys and some candy inside. You guys were thinking I was going to say liquor, right? You know, we gave them a little brown sack full of just a, just a little, you know, little nightcap. We didn't do that. No, that's not how we do it. No, we, they had, yeah, you're leaving. You're like, I can't handle that. <laughs> so we... We, we gave them this little sack, and inside it, yeah, I apologize before the Lord. Um, candy and, and little toys and, and, you know, popcorn and things like that. But also in this little sack was a little invitation. And that invitation just said, listen, we want to invite you to a Bible study the next day. The, the, the party was Saturday, and we just said, let's just see if God would do a work to start a Bible study the very next day. We had 200 people show up. I mean, surely, surely some of them. We'll be interested, right? And so the next day came, and, and the Bible study was to be at 6 p.m. on Sunday night. And the next day came, and it was 5.45, and it was about seven of us from Midtown Baptist Temple. We were praying, and then it was about 5.55, and there was about seven, us, seven of us from Midtown Baptist Temple. And, and then it was 5.57, and an older lady shows up. At, at the home, and I'm just thinking, oh, it's happening. And then at 6 o'clock, two other ladies show up. 
It's amazing. And guys, and we had a Bible study. We had a Bible study because we were just willing to walk through that door. And guys, the, the simple fact is that, that we weren't doing anything that we weren't told, that we were not told to do. You know, at Midtown Baptist Temple, we, we started as just crosstown missions. Let's, let's go from you know, 55th and Blue Ridge, which is where KCBT was located, and, and let's just do the same thing that we're doing here. Let's just do it in another part of our city, which is exactly what you guys are doing here. And, and now what's, what's happening here at, at Living Faith? At 6 p.m. August of 2015, we had our first Bible study. Over the next year, the Bible study would grow by the grace of God to over 50 people on a regular basis. Every Sunday night, we'd have close to 30 adults and about 20 kids in the basement because we didn't want anyone to see them. No, no, we, we had no room, so we, just, we, we, we had a, a kid's ministry. that We had to form a children's ministry in the basement uh, because we didn't want to, let, you know, just play video games, you know. And so we started ministering to the kids as well in the evenings. And so a, a year later, after the Bible study starts, I, I let Pastor Sam know what was going on, and he decided to invite the pastors to pray as well. And so we prayed and fasted for three weeks. And through, thank you, I'm sorry, thank you for being back. <laughs> um, something's wrong with me, guys, so just... Just pray for me. I, I don't know what's... I need, I need help. Three weeks later, though, what happens is, is that through the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit, it was decided that a new local church was to be formed in Lee Summit. And that church began in January of 2017. So I tell you that story. Uh, guys, listen, not to shine a light on how dynamic we were or we think we are, because we're not. We're not. We just aren't. Guys, I want to point out how simple our act of obedience was. The act of obedience for a Christian is not complicated. It's not difficult. It doesn't take even uh, a sophisticated understanding of the word of God. It's just that you would simply obey the Lord and walk through the doors that he has given you. I'm not here to teach you how we figured out the magic sauce to evangelism. I'm not trying to show you how you can have the same success. Instead, I just want to consider, what would our communities, what would your community, and I am so in favor of us highlighting the, the many ministry opportunities throughout the whole world because we need to be a part of that. That is the work that God has called us to. But what about your own? What about your own backyard? What about your own workplace? What are you doing there? Yes, it's easy for us to, to send out the, the dollar bills to, to, the, to the missionaries and to the other works because we know they're doing something. What about you? What about me? What would it be like if, if, if you and I, if we as believers, if we simply answered the call? Isaiah 6, 8, it says, and listen, guys, we all know this verse. This is a verse that, man, if you don't hear it during a, a vision conference, a mission conference, someone's messed up, right? We're, we're, we're not doing it right, but so, so I, I, we did it, okay? If it, has, it probably already has been done. Okay, we're good then. This is actually a conference. Okay, we're, we're, we're good. Okay, we did it. Uh, guys, listen, we all know this verse. The question is, 
Have we applied this verse to our hearts, to our lives? Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You see, what we know about the Bible is really not that impressive to God. You guys know that? What we know about the scriptures, all the great things that you know about the scriptures, and you guys go to a church that teaches the word of God and equips the saints to accomplish the purposes of God. I believe that. But guys, I want to say this. What you know about the the word of God is really not that impressive to God. Rather, what impresses God is when his children choose to walk in light of what we know. When we choose to walk out our faith, God is certainly calling his children. The question is, are we willing to answer the call to step out in faith and obey the Lord? Are we willing to become those witnesses that are found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? Okay, well, maybe a a better question. Let's hold off for Acts 1 just for a second. Let's make this easier. Are you willing to go past that of simply being a believer? Are you willing to go past just the notion of, yes, I believe the Lord, to the point to where you are recognized as a disciple? I would imagine if you're here on a Monday night, the answer is, of course. Of course I want to go past just the notion of being a believer. Of course I want to be a disciple. And we recognize disciple as meaning student, learner, follower of Christ. Of course, that's me. Why else would I be here? You may say, yes, I'm willing to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I've gone through the 16 lessons. I've gone through D2. I've gone through HBI. Or I'm doing that even right now. And I'm going to graduate this semester. Right? Mitchell, someone? Yeah? Yes? Good job. I'm doing these things. Guys, can I just say, praise the Lord for that? Praise the Lord for, for, you guys know I'm setting you up though, right? No one's like, I'm not saying amen. (laughs) I know what you're doing. You're right. But guys, can we, can we just say for a moment, praise the Lord that you guys have a, a structured process where people can be mentored and discipled in the word of God and, and that you have these lessons that can keep us accountable, iron sharpening iron. Isn't that awesome? And then secondly, is it D2 down here? Yeah, D2. You guys have a two-semester class where, where you guys can not only learn to become a disciple, but also a disciple maker, having the proper character to follow the Lord in that manner, to then make a generational impact for the gospel. And then on top of that, man, for, and I'm, I'm praying that many of you guys see this, that HBI is not just for those who are called to the pastorate. But this is an opportunity for all of us collectively to grow in our understanding of the word of God so that we can lead the next generation of believers in his word. And so, man, guys, this is good news. But guys, if I'm, complete, if I'm to be completely forthright with you, none of the education matters. It doesn't matter if you aren't willing to put into practice what you have learned. It doesn't matter, guys. And, it, and it's probably pretty impressive to, to us. And it's probably pretty impressive to your friends. 
And it's probably pretty impressive to your small group leader or your disciple or, or your fellowship leader or whatever it is. It's probably pretty impressive to those guys. But guys, I just want to say, God is not impressed with what you know. He's just not. Because what you know is actually not that much. <laughs> when you think, when you think, you know, well, I, I know all these things and dispensations and all that. All that. <laughs> God's like, yeah, I made that. <laughs> you know, great, thanks. Uh, I'm going to turn the TV on while you keep talking. I don't know. <laughs> Guys, it's like a little kid, right? We're like little kids who, who we love to tell our mom and dad, you know, uh, you know, two plus two is four. And you know what? And I'm excited when my kid is, you know, saying that. That's cool. And I get, I get pumped up. You know, that's cool. But I'm, I'm not impressed. It's not, it's not like I'm like, whoa, Four? Where'd this kid come from, right? No, I, I mean, I'm proud of my kid because he's learning things for the first time. But guys, after a while, as my son grows, I'm, I'm less interested in his rehearsal of facts. And I'm more interested to see how his knowledge affects his character. It affects his decision making and his behavior. I'm really interested in that. I'm really interested to see how the things that he is learning in the word of God, and yes, even in his education, are in some way, by God's grace, and as my wife and I are responsible for those children, that the things that they're learning are affecting their hearts. That they're affecting the character that God has placed in them. I want to know, how are you going to use that big brain of yours, son? How are you going to use it? What will all that learning produce and i believe god is saying the same thing what will all that learning produce what impact will it have all of the things that we capture all the things that we that we we love about the scriptures what is it producing in your heart in your life you see what impresses god is when his kids keep his commandments not just that they know his commandments. Listen, you may have a great handle on the scriptures, and that's great. But are the scriptures being lived out in your life? Let's go back to Acts 1.8. I asked the question, do you guys want to go past that of a believer? Do you want to be a disciple? And I would imagine in a room like this, everyone says, of course, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And these are the ways in which my, my life has evidenced that. Do you know that evangelism is an issue of obedience? Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. For us to truly claim that we are disciples of Jesus Christ to not only receive the power of God, but to see the power on display, you must become a witness. If you want to call yourself a disciple, which I believe many of us want to do, we would love to say that that is me because I've taken someone through the lessons of XYZ. 
And because I've gone to some education, I am now a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, you may be a believer, but if you are not sharing your faith, you're not a disciple. Yeah, you didn't like that one. If we are not actively being witnesses of the word of God, what God has given you, the gift God has given you, if that's not being present in you, then you cannot call yourself a disciple. At least not according to what the scriptures say. John 15, 8. Herein is my father glorified. Guys, this is how God receives glory from your life. Herein is my Father glorified. What is the purpose of man? That man would worship God, something that Lucifer refused to do. God brings in and creates man for the sole purpose of what? That we would worship the Father, that we would bring glory to his name. And here we go, here it is. Herein is my Father glorified. Get the pen out, get the paper out, whatever you need to do, press record. What is it, God, that ye bear much fruit? so shall you be my disciples. Otherwise, if this is not happening, your discipleship has become academic. We have the right answers. We even are capable of teaching the right answers. We're just not living by them. Matthew 23, 3, Christ spoke of this very problem when dealing with the Pharisees. And he said, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. And the Pharisees, those are bad dudes, aren't they? Except that verse kind of sounded like me. I'm not a Pharisee. I mean, mean, those guys are bad. I'm the good guy. And yet when I read verses like that, I say, man, it's you. Thou art the man. Guys, Christ had a problem with this. It isn't good enough to know the right answers. You must also live it out. In this, we understand that knowing the call and answering the call are two different things. Knowing the call will not raise up the next generation of disciples. Just knowing the call, knowing the Great Commission and all the verses that go along with it, just knowing those things will not raise up the next generation. Being frustrated by the current state of the world will not raise up the next generation of disciples. So then, with what appears to be the small amount of time that we have left... It's time for us to answer the call. Psalm 78, 2 through 8. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. 
that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. From these very words, we understand that to be a true disciple, for some form of generational transformation to exist, for the transfer of life to turn into the transformation of life, evangelism must become an integral part of our lives and an integral part of discipleship. And so in regards to this, what should we do? What should we do now? How do you suggest we move forward? Well, to that, I'd say that while there are quite a few motivations for living out the mission. I mean, we know the Bible tells us to live out the Great Commission. We know as Christians it's the right thing to do. Maybe we even understand it's part of our duty. Sometimes we evangelize even just to please God or make Him happy. So in that, we, we hope that our right performance will get God's attention. So we see that We have good motivations and we have some bad ones too. Maybe God will will be happy with me now if I evangelize today. Have you guys ever felt that way? That you feel like your performance is what brings God pleasure rather than simply your submission and obedience to his command? Tonight with the time I have left, what if instead of moving forward, we took a few steps back? What if we walked back to the cross and remembered the place where we cleanse, where, where we were cleansed from our sins? What if we all, in remembering what was accomplished on the cross, we were able to see how our forgiveness, that our forgiveness can become the engine that propels us into the mission? What if we could see how our forgiveness can become the foundation the daily reminder even of how we can live out the rest of our days. You see, there's, there's a reason why the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper and baptism for the church. The Lord wanted to give us a constant reminder of the importance of Christ's sacrifice so we wouldn't wander from that foundation of receiving a gift we didn't deserve. That we would, on a regular basis, whether it's baptisms or whether it is the Lord's Supper, on a regular basis, we would be reminded that it's all a gift. And it's a gift you never deserved. And I never deserved. In Genesis 50, we have the first mention of the word forgive. Jacob is about to die And Joseph has been providing for his brothers and their families after the famine. But now they are concerned that when dad dies, well, Joseph's going to get his revenge. Man, we we know what's going to come. I know Joseph's been playing playing it cool. But once dad dies, Joseph's going to get us back. And so they're about to concoct a plan. Even now, Joseph's brothers are being, being deceitful. Read Genesis 50. Okay, we're going we're gonna to tell them that Dad said they're making garbage up. 
Genesis 50, verse 15 through 21. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which he did unto him, which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, which, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, Dad said, Dad said that you should, right? So shall you say unto Joseph, what do they say? Forgive. For, Genesis 50? It took 50 chapters to get to that point. First mention, forgive. Forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. In this passage, we, we see that the request for forgiveness is directly connected to an acknowledgement of our trespass and sin. The very first mention of forgiveness is directly connected to someone pleading because they know they've done something wrong. It's directly connected to our trespasses and sin. There is also an acknowledgement of evil done against an innocent one. They recognized that Joseph was innocent and that they had done wrong. So they, in asking forgiveness, there is an acknowledgement of sin and there is an acknowledgement that I've done evil against an innocent one. That's an interesting thing. From this we see that the hope of forgiveness was able to bring about their salvation and a restored relationship with their Savior. You guys see that? That as they request forgiveness, they recognize that that pleading for forgiveness was also the agent by which they would be saved and reconciled to that person, which was Joseph in this instance, who was their savior. Forgiveness was the answer to your sin problem. And forgiveness is what the world seeks. But how did Joseph respond to this request? How did Joseph respond to this request for forgiveness? How did he respond to this even plot that they had? Listen to his words. He says, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? First and foremost, Joseph was saying, do I have the authority to take vengeance against wickedness? To dispense judgment against sin? Joseph knew that judgment didn't belong to him. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. But secondly, in asking such a question, Joseph was likewise saying, do I have the power to forgive sin? You see, this question makes me consider another question from Luke chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. And when he, this was Jesus, saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. 
And man, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Joseph understood that forgiveness, a forgiveness that can cancel out your entire sin debt and vengeance, which entails a judgment that can cast people into hell, that both of these traits can only be found in the hands of God. And because of that, he is to be feared. Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. What an interesting verse. What an interesting thought. That forgiveness would actually complement the notion of fear. Well, that sounds strange. You would think that forgiveness would be the thing that I'd want to then embrace. But in Psalm 130, it says, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Plain and simple, the one who has the power to forgive is also the one who has the power to judge. So then, could it be that the motivation we seek to be evangelistic is not in the knowledge or the learning that lies ahead of us, but rather the motivation is found in a payment that has already been transacted on our behalf. I believe for us to answer the call, we need to remember the place where our sins were forgiven. You and I, for us to tell the story of forgiveness, we need to go back to that place. Stop moving forward. Let's start taking a couple steps back to where we find ourselves at the feet of the cross. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day that you got saved? Do you remember what it was like to be lost? From that place of remembrance, in view of a God who has the power to forgive and yet also to judge, we preach. In view of that God, in view of a God who forgave you of every stinking sin you ever committed, in view of that God, in remembrance of the sin that does so easily beset us, that, that, that was bearing you down for your whole life. Do you remember that? In view of that time, and yet in view of also the God who was willing to forgive, and yet had the power to judge, we preach. We preach. Acts 13, 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you. What is preached? The forgiveness of sins. That's preached. But you can't preach that if you don't think about it in your own life. If you're not considering the magnitude of that moment that every stinking thing that was present on you, God says, I took it. You've been made new. He became sin so that you would be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And now Colossians 3 says that you are hid in Christ and that the blood of Christ, it actually covers over you so that when we approach the Father, God says, man, I see my son. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. What should we preach? That God has forgiven me before you can ever say that God will forgive you. As I just need to let you know that God has forgiven me of my sin and who I was, who I still am, and in the flesh who I still will be, that God forgave it all. That motivates me. When I consider the the treasure that it is, the gift that was given to me, the, the deposit that was put in my life, as Paul spoke to Timothy. Guys, what are we going to do with it? Paul understood that if he was going to preach the gospel of repentance, that you need to turn around, he had to remember the time when his sins had also been forgiven. You see, this, this is what compels us. It transports us from a place of duty to a place of thankfulness where guilt is thrown aside and confession is a memorial. Acts 26, 18, that God would use us to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. When we remember the cross, We are brought back to a place of helplessness. We are brought back to that place where you realize that you couldn't do it anymore. That you had no strength to accomplish the purposes of God. That you are in every way unable to fulfill that task. When we remember the cross, we are brought back to that place of helplessness, that place of debt to a place where our sin brought about the death of our Savior. At the cross, we hearken back to a place where Christ was made our sin, so that we would be made the righteousness of God in Him. In this place of atonement, an overwhelming gratitude takes hold. It should, at least. In this moment, I I, I don't care about all the things that I've learned and Praise God for for the faculty that he gives you to study his word and to learn it and to know it, to memorize it, to apply it to your lives. But guys, I'm telling you, what will motivate me for the mission is to go back to the place where I realize, not baptism, right, although I pointed to that, where I realize, we're getting all types of things confused today. I don't know why you got that if you're sprinkling though. Uh, Where we get back to the place where we realize what? When my sins were forgiven. When you changed my life, you want to know, how do these guys do it? How do they go to another country and how are they so willing to be bold? You want to know? They remember their salvation. They remember that gift. And an overwhelming gratitude takes hold. You see, it's right here in this very place. It's, guys, it's right here in this very place. If you... When you, when you take yourself back to the cross, where the cross is on full display in you. Have you guys ever wondered why when you give the gospel it just feels like it falls flat? 
And I realize everyone has their own free will. I understand that. But have you ever considered that, that maybe the way in which you're giving the gospel is not putting Christ, the cross, and the resurrection on full display? When we, when we get back to that place where we remember that we have been forgiven, God, that, I, that you forgave me. It's not based upon the things I know, but based upon what he has done, where my sins were washed away. If Heartland Baptist Fellowship wants to be a church that answers God's call, I pray that it will be in remembrance, hearkening back to the first time we called out to him for our salvation. As those who have been forgiven, we happily do the only thing that we can do, the only thing I can do from that place of realizing, God, you've forgiven me, is to give out a gospel of grace with outstretched arms to the lost. I love you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. I pray that God would continue using this conference to sharpen us and to challenge us. Amen. That's a good word. You know, a couple things. Yeah, wow. Oh, me, oh, my. So this would be an opportune time for us to, you know, we don't really always have altar calls, but it's a church family. But th- these these conferences are about answering the call. And uh, there's a couple things that God brought to my heart as he was preaching, and I won't tarry, but to w- one is just to who much is given, much is required. Right. And God has has given us what. Right. And so we're often talking about knowledge and uh, and even people are gifts. The body is a gift. I mean, he's given us so much. But, you know, at the end of the day, we forget him, don't we? Knowledge puffeth up. And charity edifies. Right. And so and thanks for calling us back to remember the joy of our salvation before we had all that body of knowledge. Right before we had, all we knew was we were forgiven. I mean, do you remember that day? I mean, as you were asking that question, I was just—I can just—I can still remember, not just the day of, but the day after. You remember the second day? <clears throat> you just didn't—I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe. I mean, I could believe it. I believed it. That's why I was so excited. I just—but it was like, like I'm this stuck. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I just remember just, I'm forgiven. Forgiveness was the issue. I'm forgiven. And I'm still forgiven. And you're still forgiven if you're saved. And uh, it is possible that you can come up in a Christian home and come to a a good Bible-believing church and the reality of the resurrection and forgiveness is not really real and it's performance-based, it's duty-based, it's works-based. And it's even though it has all the right information, it is not a real relationship with the one person that can actually save you, and that's Jesus Christ. And and so if you're like a second-generation kid, double down and make sure that you don't have a relationship with a religion. 
but you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that you are saved because he has forgiven you. It's so important because that will propel us forward in faith. And, uh, man, I don't I want to re-preach the message. There's a lot there. That was a really, man, we've had a couple incredible meals here at this church, not just the physical ones, praise God. So I'm going to let that settle. I don't want to add to or take away, but I do think, let's just do this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let this thing, what we've heard, settle in our hearts. Let's stand together. You've been sitting a long time. Let's stand together and uh, just just sink, let this sink in, and let's just pray.